Hello everyone, welcome back to Biomara. This is a weekly news show where we'll discuss some of the weird, strange, and just downright odd things that have happened this week in the art and history fields. I'm your host and personal curator, Amara Andrew. This week we're talking about owning a Banksy mural for just 120 pounds, not body weight, but money, uh, a 4,000-year-old horse cult pyramid, and the line that'll solve the worldwide housing crisis? It's a very weird thing, but just stay tuned, you'll hear that, I guess. I don't know. I'm a little rusty. So anyway, we have all that and more coming up on this episode of Buy Amara. Let's get to it. It's amazing what happens when you take a week off of doing something that you just regularly do. I don't know. I, I just... It's a lot. (laughs) So anywho, it just feels very weird to take a week off and then get back into it. And then I just feel so disheveled. And I'm very disheveled for a wide variety of reasons this week, but I'll talk about that in a second. Um, Sorry about no episode last week. I thought I would record while we were out of town, but then I just didn't get the time to. So first, I just want to start off by offering like my absolute sincerest heartfelt condolences. I know it doesn't like do anything, but uh, just to Maui and Lahaina and everything for the massive wildfires. That is just absolutely terrible. It is insane that that can happen so quickly. Like I grew up in Arizona, so I know how quickly wildfires can happen, but it's just beyond awful. So I'm so just sorry. Like it, I know it doesn't do anything, but it's just terrible to have that loss of life. Also, the loss of cultural institutions, which doesn't even compare to loss of life, but just all of the loss there is absolutely horrific. So I just wanted to address that at the top. So back to my personal life updates. Uh, We just got back from Ocean City, New Jersey. Yes, New Jersey. And that is where my dad lives. So it's just, it's somewhere, his whole family is from there, like that whole area, like Millville, Jersey Shore sort of area. So Uh, We would go back every single year. Also, I feel, sorry, I'm so distracted right now. I feel so bright and I'm wearing a white tank top and it's like the whitest fucking shirt I think I've ever owned, but I'm not a big white fan (laughs) and uh, it just feels very aggressive. I keep seeing it in my peripheral and my little screen over here and it's just, it's a lot. So I'm more of a a black and gray kind of gal. So this is insane. Um, But yeah, so we just got back from Ocean City, New Jersey. It was really fun. It's a place that has like a special meaning to me just because it's where we would go every summer. So um, yeah, it'll always have a special meaning. It's nice that I get to bring my partner Jeff there too and just show him all my favorite little things and just be like, oh, this is like the boardwalk and this is the fudge kitchen and all that fun stuff. I ate so much. So there's a place there called Bashville Banana. It's in like the promenade kind of thing at 10th, 9th, I don't know, one of the streets on the boardwalk. They have the best banana whip. I didn't even know banana whip was a thing that existed, but banana whip is just frozen banana, but it's put through this like machine. So it comes out like a sorbet almost. Oh, I need to find that machine because that was absolutely fantastic. I think I ate like 700 bananas while we were there, but I felt so good. So bananas might be the secret. Oh God, that's like a whole Portlandia skit, isn't it? Anyway, I'm not going to go that far, but I'm just saying that this is uh that was a really great trip, but now we are actually, when this comes out, I'm recording this really early. We are in Dallas for a, it's a real estate conference, but one of my clients through my business, Maven, what is maven.com? Uh, one of my clients actually got invited to speak at the conference, which is fantastic. Like I'm so fucking proud of her. It's insane, but she got invited to speak. So we're actually going to go there to film her speaking and do like a little mini vlog and everything. We're also going to be filming with some people too, while we're there, just because why not, which will be really fun. I'm very excited to meet everybody. So I'll let you know how it goes next week. But between coming home from Ocean City and then going to Dallas, we've only had a three day window. So actually today is our last day. So we're going to be in Dallas, uh, 
soon. <laughs> so I'm just feeling a little frazzled from all that. I'm very excited and like super just thankful that I get to have all these opportunities and everything, but it's just like, I, I didn't even unpack, which is also why I'm wearing this stupid ass tank top. Uh, but I didn't even unpack really. I mean, I did, but I washed my clothes. I washed my clothes. So I'll be clean for Dallas, but I just, I don't have a lot of different things. So like my six shirts that I own are in my bag already ready to go. So I digress. I've never been to Dallas before, so I'm excited to see kind of what it's like. I can, I hope I can make it to Dealey Plaza where JFK was assassinated. That sounds really fucked up the way I just said that. I just want to see the space of where it happened or like experience it. I don't know. It's just, I'm into the morbid and the macabre. So Dallas will be interesting. Never been there. Been to Austin, been to many other parts of Texas, but just never been to Dallas specifically. So I'm looking forward to it. Anyway, I do have one story update. Uh, in episode 29, we talked about the auctioneer who was involved in allegedly forging a series of like 20 or 25. I forget the exact number, but a, a substantial amount of Basquiat paintings, Jean-Michel Basquiat. So this guy, his name is Michael Barsman. He was, uh, he allegedly created false provenance for this series of paintings. He alleged that they were created in 1982 by Basquiat and that they had been found in a storage unit for like an old playwright or something like that who had just passed away. These works were then featured in an exhibit at the Orlando Museum of Art where their authenticity came into question. And it kind of came into, if you want to listen to the whole thing, episode 29 is where the, the whole story is, but their authenticity came into question a while before that but then it was obviously when they're put on display it's like okay where is that from like this looks weird what also furthered speculation though is that a new york times reporter wrote about uh the logo that was on one of the boxes that allegedly Basquiat painted on because it was like a series of uh like newspaper or FedEx boxes and things like that. But the typeface of the FedEx logo was allegedly, it didn't come out until 1994. So Basquiat was already long gone. Like he had already passed away at that time. So he could not have done that. <laughs> so anyway, there was this whole long story. It was this Barsman guy and then another guy and they were in cahoots and blah, blah, blah. So in 2022, Barsman claimed that he had no involvement with the paintings, but then he later retracted that and said, you know, yeah, I was part of that in 2023. So he has now been sentenced is the moral of this story. So his sentence involves three years of probation and a, five, a fine of $500. So that is an update, I guess. Uh, the other guy, I don't know if he has had any sort of legal ramifications for his involvement. I have no idea. So yeah, that is the only update I have for this week. So let's just get straight into the show. You can now be a proud owner of a Banksy mural for only 120 pounds. And like I said, not your body weight, but money. <laughs> this is in the UK, obviously, if you couldn't tell from 120 pounds. The work in question is called Valentine's Day Mascara, and it portrays a 1950s era kind of style looking housewife woman person thing <laughs> in a blue checkered, like kind of gingham sort of dress. She has an apron on. She has like yellow dish gloves. Most importantly, though, which is the whole context of this piece, she has a black eye, a bruised cheek and is missing a tooth. It appears that she has murdered her possibly husband or just another male sort of person. Essentially, she murdered the guy who did this to her, who abused her. I think there's like a frying pan and a couple other things in the composition of the piece. So she also, though, stashed him in a freezer. And that is what you see. You just see his little feet sticking out of this freezer. So it's like a multimedia piece that was created by Banksy, allegedly, 
We'll talk about that in a second. But there was this uh, abandoned freezer that was against a wall. So then Banksy created this mural around it and painted the guy's feet sticking out. I don't know. It's very charming. There's also a broken chair in front of it, too. So it looks like there may have been some sort of a scuffle. uh, And then she killed him and then shoved him in the freezer. So like I said, this freezer was abandoned in the street next to it. So then Banksy utilized it. This work is in Margate in the UK, and it appeared on February 14th, 2023, hence the name Valentine's Day Mascara. And obviously, as you can tell, it is a commentary on domestic violence, which I am totally about. I love this piece. I think it's very fascinating. After it first appeared, though, the Thanet District Council removed the fridge, quote, on the grounds of safety as it was on public land, end quote. And then they stated that they would return the freezer after it was found out if it was safe or not to be in public which is really weird Um, which they eventually did return it just like a few days later or something like that local residents though in Margate expressed how shocked they were that the council just swooped right in I think obviously probably because it was tied to Banksy in some sort of way they're like oh before this becomes a tourist attraction we have to make sure it looks good Um, but the residents were stating you know it's taken weeks before to get something cleaned up so it's just very weird priorities I guess The council also said that they would contact the property owner about preserving this work. And we're getting to how you can own this in just a second, but I just want to give you some background. The owner of the building, so essentially how it works is wherever the murals are placed, like on whatever building it is, the person who owns the building owns the mural by proxy, which is wild. Like, I don't know, it doesn't really make sense to me, but it also does. Uh, So anyway, so the owner of the building contacted the Red 8 Gallery for help in trying to figure out, you know, how do I preserve this? Can I sell it? Because that's like everybody's first, most people's first thought. So Julian Usher of the gallery, he then spent the next two months trying to find a series of different tradespeople's. So like a fabricator, a structural, structural engineer, and an art conservationist to remove the mural from this place, because then obviously you can put it on display and sell it and all that fun, wonderful stuff. So like I said, put in February 14th, 2023, it was able to be removed by the end of April in 2023. You're probably wondering how much it cost to remove that. It was about 195,000 pounds to remove. And when it was all said and done, that was like the cost of it. The artwork, though, then made its way to Dreamland Margate, which looks like it's like a little amusement park, and it's going to be displayed there for about 12 months. I saw between 12 and 24 months, but we'll just say 12 months for now, per the owner's wishes. So they want to put it on display, which is also probably to be able to sell it, but we'll we'll talk about that in a second. So Usher, who was the executive director of the gallery, though, obviously for the owner, he's looking for like for the person to be able to sell it. So he's looking for somebody to purchase it. And it's been very difficult, surprisingly, because the actual mural hasn't been authenticated by Banksy Studios, like a lot of his other work has been. Even though, which I find this odd, but Banksy did confirm that he actually created this on his Instagram, but apparently that's not enough. It has to be done by Banksy Studio, like specifically. Usher, the executive director of the gallery, he wanted to get between one to two million pounds for this work. But like I said, he's had a lot of trouble trying to get somebody to purchase it because it hasn't technically been authenticated. So now I am getting to how you can own your very own Banksy. He is now going to fractionalize the mural, which I fucking hate this so much. It, ugh. I have I have a lot of thoughts and opinions on the art world, and this is one thing that I can't stand. Or like collector history, 
I don't know. It's just really weird to me. But anyway, uh, if you like it, totally more power to you. You do you. So he's going to fractionalize the mural and sell it to the mass market through Showpiece, which that's like a big company that does this. Essentially what it is when I say fractionalize, you have an artwork. Let's say you have the Mona Lisa. And I guess I could just use this piece, but well, just like everybody kind of knows what the Mona Lisa is. So hopefully. <laughs> so let's say you have the Mona Lisa and then you can split it up into however many shares you want essentially and charge whatever price you want per share. So if I wanted to buy six shares of the Mona Lisa and each share was a hundred dollars, then did I just say six? So then it would be $600, which would be insane. But then I could own a large portion of this painting. I do wonder now, as I'm saying this, if th there has to be some sort of a cap because you can't 100% own this piece, I don't think. I have no idea. Um, but this is a way for people to make a lot more money off of it. And then also for kind of like the mass market people to be able to say, oh, I own whatever, Valentine's Day mascara or I don't know, whatever. So I really hate the idea of fractionalizing something because for me, it's interesting. It, I guess it changes the value of the object for me personally, because then, you know, traditionally art has been owned just by one specific person or by one family. To fractionalize it and have it be owned by 10,000, 100,000 different people, it's very weird. It just, it changes it a little bit, but it's also kind of perfect though for Banksy stuff because he makes it, it's public art. So it's kind of like it should be owned by the public, but not exactly like this. Like this feels, it just feels antithetical to Banksy, I guess, but I don't know. That's just my own reading on it. Anyway, so when this piece sells through Showpiece, the owner of the mural has pledged, quote, a six-figure sum to the Margate charity Oasis, which allegedly supports families to escape and heal from domestic abuse in East Kent. Uh, showpiece, then, they also state that they're going to donate some of the proceeds to the UK domestic violence charity Refuge, but they didn't say how much. If you want to own this, it actually went on sale yesterday when this comes out. August 22nd is when it goes on sale, so you can check out Showpiece if you want to earn or if you want to own some of this. I don't know if it'll be available or whatever. There are going to be 27,000 shares for 120 pounds per share. So I don't know. You can you can do whatever you'd like. The mural itself is valued at 6 million pounds, which is how they arrived at all these different facts and figures. So hopefully I'll have an update for you next week if it actually did sell out. Um, congratulations if you bought some. And if not, then that's cool too. I personally am not going to. It just I would rather give the money directly to the donation. But I don't know. Anyway, so if you want to own a Banksy, you have your chance. Maybe I might be a little late, so sorry. <laughs> On to our next story. A 4,000-year-old horse cult pyramid has been uncovered in Kazakhstan. <laughs> so genuinely, I had never heard of a fucking horse cult before this, and I found it very interesting. I might be joining a horse cult. Archaeologists have been excavating, and apologies for mispronunciation, there is going to be a lot of it, so I'm so sorry. Archaeologists have been excavating the Kirkungur complex near the Toktamas village since 2014. So almost 10 years now. So far at the complex, they found a series of ancient graves, clay pots, food, which I'm very curious about, small bronze bowls, and a wide assortment of different jewelry. The latest thing, though, that they found is a stepped pyramid dating to 2000 BCE, so to the Bronze Age. And this pyramid is super unique for a wide array of different things. First is that it differs from the traditional Eurasian style. So you, when you think of a pyramid, you think like 
Giza, where it has like the bottom and then the four sides that converge to a point at the top. This one, though, is actually hexagonal, meaning that it has six sides to it. So that same bottom, but then the six sides converges at the top. Super fucking unique. It's also a really complex and sophisticated design, which is what the archaeologists on the site are actually saying about it. So the actual construction of it in each corner, kind of where like the walls are, where they, the, the walls join each other. There, I have photos up here. It'll make a lot more sense if you just like look it up or watch the video version of this. They're large black stones that are in the corners. So like they're standing upright. And then between that for the walls, it's a series of, I think it's eight rows. Let me see. Yeah, there are eight rows of stones for the walls measuring 13 meters. And these stones are smaller and like a lighter kind of color. It's really interesting. So like it's a very purposeful sort of design. Um, and then, like I said, those are the walls. They're also, I read in a series of different articles, but I couldn't quite get clarification on what it meant. Uh, they're a series of circles. I don't know what the fuck that means. I'm thinking like concentric circles on the floor or something. I don't know. Hopefully I can have an update for you too on that, but I, I genuinely think it just said a series of circles. So I'm like, okay, cool. That sounds great. Also really cool on the walls there. This is where we're finally getting to the horse cult. There are depictions of various quadruped animals. So I guess there are these like giant paintings of camels on the side and horses. <laughs> to keep with the horsey theming, archaeologists on the site have even found horse bones around the perimeter of the pyramid. And apparently this is actually a very common, I guess not like super common, but it's a huge marker of the actual time period that this is created. So like I said, Bronze Age. In Eurasian culture, horses had just started to be domesticated at the time that this was created. So there was a lot of different horse-related cults and celebration and things like that and imagery. And it makes sense because could you imagine like being able only being able to use your body, like however you can be mobile to get around. And then all of a sudden these fucking horses, like you just start domesticating them. And then it's like, oh, I can ride this and get to from point A to point B in like record time compared to walking or moseying or rolling around whatever you were doing. I don't know. It's just very interesting. Like I said, many other horse cult related items have been found in this area. And then also in the, the greater surrounding area, if you will. And I just wanted to leave you with this little fun fact for this story. Allegedly, the oldest horse burial is dated to the first half of the 4th millennium BCE. So that was sometime between 4000 BCE and 3001 BCE. That's pretty fucking old. So I just thought that was really interesting, but it just shows that there were a lot of different horse-related uh, cult sort of things. So maybe we'll bring back the horse cults. On to our final story, and this one is quite a doozy. A very unique kind of odd housing system is arriving in Saudi Arabia within the next few years. This is called The Line, and it's allegedly supposed to house 9 million people. How? <laughs> We're going to talk about that. But first, I want to kind of paint you a picture of what it actually looks like and what it is. It's it's a really unique thing. I've never seen anything like this. I'm not a housing person, so I have no idea, but... Essentially, this is a major city, but it's built within an extremely confined area. It measures 170 kilometers or about 106 miles long. It's fucking long. You need to look up photos if you're listening to this because it is wild. So 170 kilometers or about 106 miles long, 500 meters tall, which is just a little bit taller than the Empire State Building, and it's 200 meters wide. 
the entire exterior of it is mirrored. So allegedly that's supposed to be, uh, so it's just like a long, tall, shiny hallway, but it's mirrored so that it kind of fades into the landscape, which I, I couldn't help but thinking you're going to have so many fucking birds flying into this thing. Like I had a bird fly into my window and it's very apparent that it is a window, but I digress. I, I wonder how that's going to be for the, the wildlife nearby. What's really cool though about this like shiny metal facade is that the south wall is going to have solar panels in it which we'll talk about that in a second more about like renewable energy which is a huge focus of this project so this is like a whole line literally because it's called the line but it's just like one long shiny line that goes into the gulf of Aqaba. it looks like uh so it it seems like this is going to be built kind of like on the water allegedly but it could just kind of end up wherever so on the website for the line Quote, the line redefines the concept of urban development and what cities of the future will look like, end quote. So this is supposed to be a way to solve a wide variety of complex problems ranging from climate change to uh, urban housing and things like that. I, I don't really like the word urban, but like how people in cities can live in housing and where you can kind of house more people in an area. Within this line, there will be no cars, no roads, and it'll run on 100% renewable energy both for energy and water supplies. Additionally, they're boasting that 95% of land will be preserved for nature. It's also stated that one of the main principles behind this project is, quote, people's health and well-being will be prioritized over transportation and infrastructure, unlike traditional cities, end quote, which I personally, I really love that. I hate how I have to drive most places to get to various different things. I'd rather have any everything in walkable distance, which is why I love Miami Beach. Um, but just being able to walk and things like that to just being able to have a short walk or a very short commute to get various different things, whatever you need is huge. So here is how it's going to be set up. It kind of is like a shopping mall where you have your central walkway or courtyard in the middle. And then like all the shops are off to the side, just kind of like a traditional sort of shopping mall. All you can see are mock-ups for what it's supposed to look like. So things will definitely change as they progress with, uh, construction and everything. So in the courtyard, it's supposed to be, they call it the canyon. That's supposed to have just all trees, all nature, all plants. Like it's supposed to look very, very green and lush. All of the living uh, compartments and essentials and things like that will be shoved off to the side. And I said shoved off, but put on the side. Um, it It's really interesting. You have to watch the videos and stuff because I, I'm not doing justice trying to explain it to you, but it's very unique. So allegedly 9 million people, like I said, are supposed to live in here. Every single person that lives in there is alleged to have a five minute walk, which also that was irritating me a little bit about the copy is everything was called a five minute walk. What about people with limited mobility, limited to no mobility? It needs to be like five minute accessible neighborhood or something like that. Anyway, so it's that's just, I'm just using the jargon from the website. They keep saying five minute walk, even though I'm thinking just five minute accessible neighborhood. The entire line will be split up into different modules. So each module will house 80,000 people. Within that module, then you have that five-minute transportation where you can just get to basically any sort of essential thing that you need, which I found the list of daily essentials hilarious because one of the main essentials that was listed was an opera house. That's a fucking essential? We, we live in very different worlds, I think. Um, so I'm curious to see who they're actually selling this to, but I digress. We'll talk about that in a second. So the modules are horizontal. Sorry, the modules are horizontal. <laughs> I know my vertical and my horizontal. So like I said, the daily essentials surrounding you will be opera houses, stadiums, 
libraries, theaters, cinemas, police stations, schools, hospitals, universities, and a hidden marina. So some of these things like the uh, the stadium might be in a different module. So you might be in module 45 and then the stadium's in module 72 or whatever. But just kind of to give you a general idea of what's going to be in there. They also stated that to get like the university might have just glass walls. So you might also have to interact with it to get to certain parts of where you want to go. Like if you're trying to get to the hospital or something, they want to keep it so that you're interacting with people as much as possible, which I kept thinking of Walter Netsch, who's an architect. He did brutalism and I both attended and worked at University of Illinois at Chicago and I was actually in the archives and I also worked on the Walter Netsch papers. Fun fact. But his whole thing was having these converging points wherever you go for the walkway to make people come into contact with each other, which is so fucking annoying this day and age. I don't know in the 60s when it was built if that was annoying, but that was the most infuriating thing about being on campus because people are on their phones, they're not paying attention, and trying to get all of this traffic going at one time. I don't know. So anyway, just thinking about uh, this specific instance where you want to have people converging, it will be very difficult. You won't have car traffic per se, but you will have people traffic, which will definitely get in the way. So what do you do if you need to get from Oh God, somebody in the window just scared me. So what do you do then if you need to travel end to end of this line? Well, they do have an entire transit system. It's supposed to only take 20 minutes. It's a high speed, high speed rail system known as the spine. So it'll just take you 20 minutes from end to end to get there, which is is pretty cool. Additionally to the line eventually will link to the international airport. So you will be able to leave. <laughs> and we'll also talk about like jobs, like how does that work and everything in just a sec. But you will be able to go to the international airport direct from there. And like I said, there will also be a marina within the building. So then you can go have your private water wave, assuming, assumingly, assuming, whatever. <laughs> Another big promise that they have too is that, uh, by having everything that you need within this area, you'll have more time to spend with friends and family, which uh, I don't know if that's a necessarily a selling point, but you do you. They also state that there will be uninterrupted access to nature within a two-minute walk. So like I said, that middle kind of courtyard area, there's just supposed to be greenery everywhere, which I am 100% for. I think we need a lot more greenery everywhere. And they also promise that everybody will have, quote, equitable access to the uh, nature that is outside. So I don't know how that's going to function, but we'll find out. They also stated, which I didn't find too much more on this, but I know it'll be developed as they uh, make more stuff. But automated services will be powered by AI. So essentially, this entire line will be running through AI, which I think is really fascinating. Like I mentioned too, then how does work work? How do you go about your employment? What if you work outside the line? They boast that there will be no unemployment in the line because it'll be totally self-sufficient and also provide more new business opportunities. So it sounds like most people who live in the line, if not everybody, will actually work in the line also, which is really fascinating to me. I kept thinking of silo, how you have, I don't know, just like everything, there's always a hierarchy to things. So whether that's class hierarchy, social hierarchy, whatever it is, how how are they going to price all of the units? Are there going to be some more desirable sort of modules like I talked about where the 80,000 people like will live? How are they going to figure out the hierarchy of each module? Are they all going to be priced the same? Does a janitor who work there get paid the same as the person who makes your coffee is the same who is the person who's your doctor? Like, I'm just very curious how all of this is going to work and if it's going to be all just like flat kind of 
well, everybody makes $100,000 a year. I don't know. I have no idea, but I'm very curious to learn more because they're kind of reimagining society in a way, which is very interesting, but it feels very difficult because we all have our how how society functions in our head. So like I said, I kept thinking about silo where you have the down deep and then up tops. I don't know. I don't remember what they're called, but you will have some sort of a hierarchy. So I'm curious to know how this works way further. So hopefully there will be more news. Just really quickly too, the line was created by Neom, which is a company. Uh, the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman is chairman of the Neom Company Board of Directors. Neom is focused on creating a variety of different cities along the Red Sea. So this is just one of the latest. Uh, there are a bunch of different things. There was like an octagon kind of shaped one too, which looked really interesting. Neom itself is actually a region. So it's a company, but it's also like an area in the northwest part of the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Allegedly, 2,800 staff members from 86 countries live and work on site. So it's almost kind of like Apple, Apple's campus in a way, but people actually live in this community, which is fascinating. And it's being funded from the, quote, existing governmental framework with its own tax and labor laws and an autonomous judicial system. So this, again, shows that the line is going to kind of be just this autonomous sort of thing, I guess. I don't really know how to describe it. But then I was thinking, well, how does infrastructure work then? Because if the line is seemingly going to be part like its own world, essentially, who pays for things to get fixed? How do you fix things? Do you have people within the line who fix it? Do you hire external contractors from the next line over or something. I don't know. There are a lot of questions for me, which is interesting. And how does like the energy work? Like what if the power goes out and then you don't have energy for some reason? I have no idea. But also these aren't things for me to think about because obviously I'm not going to be living there. But it's just very, very interesting. It is a really unique style of architecture. It's kind of like Marina City here in Chicago where that like it was built in the 60s and it's like the corn cob buildings is what they call it. But it's essentially like an autonomous city. So you have everything you need in there. You have like your parking structure, you have your grocery store, cleaners. Now it's a little bit different. Um, but like the whole bottom part was supposed to be everything you needed for just like a normal, sustainable lifestyle. And then you live on the top part of it. It's a really fascinating uh, idea of this like city within a city. So this is just like the latest version of that. So I'm very curious to see how this goes. Also, something I thought about too was data privacy. I don't know how that's going to work, just if this is its own sort of autonomous sort of thing, like government or whatever. How does privacy work? And I don't know. I have no idea, but just something to think about, I guess. So just to wrap up this story, uh, the executive director, like I talked about, he noted that this is a growth model. So instead of building the entire line all at once, it's actually going to be built in phases from now until 2045. And then by 2030, they're hoping to have a million people living in there by now, which is nuts to me. Like, I'm so curious to hear how roomy it is, how many people you can fit in there and how you're going to figure out families and stuff. I don't know. I have so many questions because I find this very fascinating. Like maybe this is the future of housing and things like that. I don't know. Would you live in the line? Let me know in the comments below. Personally, I don't know if I would. I'm, I don't like confined spaces. Even on an airplane, I have like a panic attack. So I don't know. Let me know what you think. So with that, um, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you liked this episode. If you did, give it a big old thumbs up if you're watching. And if not, then put a thumbs up in the air if you like it. Uh, and please make sure to subscribe. That helps me. It helps all your favorite creators too. So just uh, keep that in mind. And I'm Amari Andrew. Never stop creating.